Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 5th of October, 2022. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. And we would love to hear from you today about your pastor. We want um, to know your pastor's name. We want to be of encouragement to your pastor today. Um, And so if you go to MyFaithRadio.com right now, you can share that information with us. And we're going to bless your pastor during this Pastor Appreciation Month. So Um, Allow us to bless your pastor by sharing that information with us today. Um, If your pastor is like mine, um, it's a person that you love, you rely on, you're so grateful for, um, and and maybe you don't often find tangible ways to express that gratitude and appreciation for the way they're shepherding your heart and walking with you um, in your journey of discipleship. So let us help you do that. This is Pastor Appreciation Month, and we here at Faith Radio want to appreciate pastors. And so help us do that. Share your pastor's information with us at myfaithradio.com. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is Matthew five thirteen. You are the salt of the earth. Now, when Jesus says something to us that's declaratory, um, we ought to be paying attention. And so when Jesus makes a you are statement, um, we ought to perk up our ears. He is declaring something over his disciples. So here he is saying to us, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So um, we don't want to be good for nothings. We want to be good for anythings, right? So what you should think today about, you know, not being a good for nothing, like, you know, <clears throat> unsalty salt, which kind of silly to even say, right? Um, we want to be good for anything. Like, I want to be ready to respond to the nudge of the Holy Spirit, the invitation of God, the divine appointments that he has set. I want to be fully prepared to engage as an agent of his grace, an ambassador of his kingdom, um, a conduit of his grace. And so um, let's not be good for nothings. Let's be good for anything today. Uh, be my encouraging word to each of us and all of us. There's a lot going on in the world, and we want to bring the mind of Christ to bear on uh, on several of the headlines that are kind of screaming at us from uh, across the spectrum today. A video shared online of a train in Russia carrying equipment that belongs to a Russian military unit that handles nuclear weapons um, has the attention of uh, lots of folks, not only those in uh, in Ukraine, um, but those in the West as well. Um, and this, uh, this, these announcements come with, uh, with things like this. Such videos are never released simply by chance. Um, we are certain that there is a purpose behind posting and releasing such a video. A video of a train like this is a good example of Russia's strategy to try to increase the pressure on the West and signal its um, readiness, possibility, even willingness to escalate um, the situation. So we talked to yesterday about the challenges 
we are all facing as um, Russia engages in nuclear brinkmanship, which is um, certainly a prayer concern not only for the people of Ukraine, but for all of us, the world around. North Korea is testing missiles over Japan and um, and Russia is transporting equipment across the countryside. Um, and those are causes for concern um, for us all. And so how, as people of faith, do we live in such days? Um, how do we, um, maybe like Abigail in 1 Samuel 25, how do we intercede to bring peace? I should remind you of Abigail's efforts there. Um, Abigail's efforts didn't just end the conflict, but actually brought peace to the situation. It's not that the world ever lacks conflict. It's what do we do as salt of the world in the midst of dangerous and destructive days? How do we be people of peace? How do we sow peace? How do we be peacemakers? Peace is more than just the absence of struggle. It's actually the presence of an intervening love. And so how can you and I be peacemakers today? How could we manifest the physical presence of an intervening love today? Um, Pressing ourselves into and even upon, like salt, pressing ourselves into and upon um, the situations uh, of decay and destruction in uh, in our culture and the world. We're going to um, talk here in just a, a moment with Jeff Bilbro. One of the things that Jeff is particularly proficient at is reading the Times. That's actually the name of his book. We don't we don't often circle around to his book because we talk about what he's you know writing in real time. But um, Jeff's book, Reading the Times: A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News, helps us read the morning newspaper um, in a in a way that moves us toward prayer and moves us toward a practical um, response. And so I'm going to ask Jeff to bring some prayerful, practical response to a particular headline today related to a satirical news outlet called The Onion and then a, a, re, a, a very real case before the U.S. Supreme Court. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbro joins us again. Jeff is a professor at Grove City College. He also um, hosts a an, what I would call an aggregated blog at frontporchrepublic.com. It's called The Water Dipper. Uh, he's also the author of, um, well, more than one book, but the one I'm going to highlight today, Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. Jeff, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. All right, so <clears throat> we have talked... Um, but on prior occasions, specifically about your book, Reading the Times, I wanted to tee it up again this morning. Have you remind everybody um, what, you know, the argument that you're making and the and the help that you're offering there, helping us to pay attention and discern the nature and the time that we live in in, in history and how we um, form communities through which we can read and discuss the headlines of the day. That's that's what we try to do every day here on Mornings with Carmen. Your book is an excellent um introduction into like how to do that and then i want us to like apply that to a particular headline can we do that sure well thanks All yeah right. um so yeah my book basically is is trying to draw on the rich christian tradition of um theologians and uh news creators and news readers to think about the purpose of the news and try to discern 
what kinds of things we might need to know and how we might need to pay attention and with whom in order to get what we need to know to love our neighbors well. Um, and if we sort of put the news in this framework of helping us to fulfill Christ's commandment to love our neighbors, then it might weed out some of the, um, the tendencies that we have to, to just get amused and distracted or outraged um, or to, to pay attention, I guess, or to, to, to prioritize wrongly um, what it is that we're focusing on. So uh, maybe that's a nut, uh, thumbnail. Yeah, so that's really, um, it's helpful to have a framework through which I'm going to read the news. I'm not going to just be an unfiltered consumer of whatever, right. you know, blather is, is posted out there. So I see from the Associated Press an article that leads with SCOTUS, which is the Supreme Court of the United States, The Onion, which I know to be a satirical website, um, and something called parody rights, um, the right to actually, I guess, publicly make fun of one another. Um, and I thought that you would be a good person to help us understand what's happening here because you could explain what is satire. How do we distinguish truth from um, like a true news story from something that is satirical when it actually is something that in the current day is is believable because of the out, outrageous nature of the days in which we live? Right. I mean, in some ways, parody uh, is hard to pull off, right, because so much, uh, so many of the news stories that we do read seem unbelievable. And um, that's why sites like The Onion can, can publish things that oftentimes go viral. People think they're true. And I guess they don't know that The Onion is, I mean, The, the Onion can look on the, uh, superficially quite factual. So if you don't know that it's a parody, it can be deceiving. And then this, this is a funny case because they are yeah, filing a, a brief in the court asking the Supreme Court to protect the rights of parody sites to not have any ostensible cues that they are publishing things that aren't true. Um, because they say that for a parody to work, it has to look real, which is, I, I guess, probably accurate. And it's maybe okay on April Fool's, but it is really confusing on the other 364 days of the year when we're trying to sort um, already through a, a lot of information and news at various levels of, of truth when there's also a pure parody out there competing. I feel like as Christians in the culture today, we need something as simple as like the the Rotary, um, Rotary International's like club pledge. Is it the truth? Is it yeah. fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? And if it doesn't pass some simple test like that, um, it, we ought not post it. We ought not share it. We ought not repeat it. And um, and I think that satire, although humorous, maybe for Christians, like steps over the edge of the way we should be behaving in public. Yeah, that's a tricky question because, I, I mean, I think there is a role for some kinds of parody or humor. And, but you're right that oftentimes it can be mean-spirited or just be trying to sow uh, frustration and outrage by kind of mocking uh, a group of people that were already prone to despise or to, to distrust. So there's a lot of forms of humor, I guess, and 
many of the ones that seem to be most popular online are probably not very Christian. And it's hard to, to think, you know, what, what can good-natured fun and uh, kind of laughing with others, how do we sort that out from just mocking people? It's, it's not easy. Yeah, that's, that's a, um, I think, an important conversation for each of us to be having and to be having in community with one another. Right. We're going to continue our conversation um, here in just a moment with Jeff Bilbro. We're going to survey some of the offerings in the Water Dipper. We're going to focus in on what small churches teach us about meaningful membership. Do you attend a small church? Is any church really small in terms of the kingdom? We're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. It's a beautiful All right, we're talking with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. He posts a, an aggregated blog where he makes um, some interesting recommendations for us in terms of what we would be reading in addition to you know, studying the scriptures and reading the newspaper. Um, what else are you reading? And so I encourage you to check it out. Um, let's talk about the piece here that you have highlighted called What Small Churches Teach Us About Meaningful Membership. It's a reflection on... Um, uh, Wendell Berry's uh, fictional fictional um, church in Port William, correct? Yeah, and you know, uh, people always send me any, any Wendell Berry stories they find, so it's not surprising <laughs> that Scott got sent to me. But uh, this is a good essay, I think, at the Gospel Coalition, uh, where a small town, you know, a, a pastor of a small church, reflects on how reading Berry's fiction has. I guess, kind of changed his approach to, to being a pastor here. I think he says they have about 45 people on a given Sunday. Um, and in a culture like ours that really values numbers and metrics and, you know, are you making an impact in measurable ways, it can be discouraging to do that kind of faithful uh, ministry for many years for just a few people. But I think he makes a good argument that it's also as you kind of alluded to in your comments a few minutes ago, uh, it's still significant uh, in the kingdom of God, even if it's not a lot of people. And he has sort of three things, I guess, that he's learned from Barry. One is that uh, everybody needs to be known, and you need to focus on that. The second is that everyone belongs, that there's you have to kind of look out for those who are um, oftentimes marginalized or overlooked or not appreciated. And then no one a celebrity, which I thought was really important in today's kind of celebrity culture, where the pastor is just your friend, and there's not a big crowd to give the impression that he's some sort of special divine voice, but uh, he's giving giving a word from God, which is needs to be heard, but he also is is one of us. So yeah, I think I think he makes a good um, maybe recalibration of how we attend to and value our church communities. And if um, if pastoral ministry is first and foremost about equipping the saints for the work of ministry that God has prepared in advance for each of the saints to do, then you have to actually intimately know your people. And That's how right. can you know your people if there are thousands of them? I mean, there's a, I mean, so I think that there, um, 
I've often heard this talked about as like, you know, if you if you think about a uh, um, a dartboard and you think about the bullseye, um, you know, and then the concentric circles that maybe go out from there. Um, if you're not discipling the three who are right there in the middle, you're yeah. whoever you're um, uh, Peter, James and John. Right. For Jesus, there's you know, there's that inner circle of Peter, James and John. And if you're not actively, intentionally, really life on life, discipling those three, you're you're not going to be discipling the 12 very well. Um, and maybe you are overly focused on speaking to the crowds, um, which is really not the bullseye for for pastoral ministry. The bullseye is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry that God's prepared in advance for the saints to do. Um, and so I do think that this is um, is really helpful. You can only really intimately know so many people, and you can only be intimately known by so many people. Um, but this this knowing one another deeply and intimately as a essential to discipleship, and then this belonging, um, the belonging part, I think that if people, you know, if it wasn't just about, hey, I'm a member of a church, I've checked off some box somewhere, I'm on some list somewhere, but I, you know, I intimately understood myself as an integral part of a local body of believers, and that without me, like, literally, it's a non-functional body. It's a, it's a less than fully functional body. It's somehow paralyzed or crippled by the fact that I'm not actively engaged um, doing my part as the part of the body, you know, for which God has uniquely called and blessed me. Um, And so I do think that those are helpful um, conversation starters for us with our pastors. Like, I want you to know me. I mean, I think you could go to your pastor and say, you know, our church is of a size that, you know, I just got to tell you, I don't really feel known, and I want, and I want to know you, and I want you to know me. I think that's a a conversation that every pastor would welcome. Um, and then yeah, to to ask, yeah, and to then to ask your pastor, hey, can you help me find my place of belonging? I mean, I'm I'm a member, I'm you know, I'm a giving unit, right? I'm contributing, I'm here, um, but I don't want to be a seat warmer. Like I I really genuinely. Um, I want to serve, uh, and I want to be used, and I want to be used up. Amen. I think you're you're so right, but it's uh, kind of an uphill battle in our in our culture where size and impact, and you know how many social media followers do you have, and um, it, those are the things that draw attention. And so we lose sight of the fact that our priorities should be on the, as you said, the three or four people right around us from whom God is calling us to uh, mentor and disciple and um, belong to. Yeah. So let me just encourage everybody who's listening right now to reach out to your pastor and tell them you appreciate them. Tell them you recognize that their job is hard. Um, and then, and then say, I want to know you and I want to be known by you. Can we get coffee together this month? It's pastor appreciation month. Can we sit down and can I take you to lunch um, I want to know you and I want to be known by you that you were not attacking anybody. We're just saying that pastoral ministry is hard. Um, and as sheep, we maybe we need to present ourselves um, more directly to our pastors that um, that we want to be known and that we want to know them uh, as well as as brothers in Christ. Hey, Jeff, as always, thank you so much. So much good stuff in the Water Dipper these days. So thank you for that. You guys can find um, the Water Dipper at Front Porch Republic. You can also find Jeff at jeffbilbro.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio.
All right, I want to brief you in on um, the situation in Lebanon before we sort of survey what's going around on around the world with our sister in Christ, Ruth Kramer from Mission News. Um, so the situation in Lebanon, I, I think, is nearing a breaking point in terms of cultural stability. Um, we have been talking about Lebanon um, for a couple of years now. And following the devastating explosion at the port, um, really there has just been a cascading number of debilitating, uh, particularly economic, but also governmental and social um, degradations in in Lebanon. And so we've reached the point where um, a couple of weeks ago, there were so many um, bank robberies uh, that Lebanon's banks closed nationwide for a week. Um, they reopened amid very tight security, and um, and and yet these bank heists continue. So let me tell you just what happened yesterday. A Lebanese lawmaker entered a bank branch. She was unarmed, but she had two of her lawyers with her. She's trying to um, withdraw her own money. People cannot withdraw their own money um, from banks in Lebanon. Um, And so she was elected to parliament um, in May, um, and she is one of a number of angry, frustrated members of uh, the Lebanese leadership. Um, They're frustrated by the fact that banks will not unlock savings, um, and she needs her money uh, in order to pay for a surgery that her health insurance doesn't fully cover. So she has the money. Um, it's in the bank, but the bank won't give her her own money. And this is it's it's not only in Lebanon where this is happening. And so when you think about um, the FDIC, when you think about the way that your deposits at a bank here in the United States of America are federally insured, um, you are talking about relying on the government to insure. I mean, literally to insure that the bank has the backing of the power of the United States to um, meet your demand should you go to the bank and try to withdraw money and your bank not actually have that much money. Okay, so you're saying to yourself, well, this would never happen in America. Um, true, insofar as the federal government is in a position to, to back every deposit made by every individual American in every federally insured institution. So just think about that for just a moment when um, when you think about the stability or instability of um, of our economy um, and where we're keeping our treasures, which is always why I think, you know what, let's not be hoarding up our treasures in barns or banks. Let's be deploying them. For kingdom advancement right now, let's do all the good we can with all the goods God's given us in order that the kingdom might be advanced to its fullest extent right now in our generation. Um, all, you know, all of the assets that are, that are piled up in banks and barns, um, you know, that's rust, rust destroys, destroys and thieves break in and steal. Um, let's be releasing assets that are within our reach um, for the advancement of the kingdom right now. Um, because right now is when, 
you know, it's our time to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're going to talk next with uh, Ruth Kramer about what else is going on in the world in places you may not have thought about recently. We talked about some things going on in Iran. Um, Ruth is going to bring us a really good news story out of Iran. And then we're going to talk about the aftermath of Ian, not in Florida, but in Cuba. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer is back from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, good morning. Good morning. Wow, that was a really enthusiastic good morning. <laughs> well, that's because I'm, I'm excited to be back, and so I'm excited that other people are back, and, you know, people want to talk, right? Sure. So makes, how hard would my job be if nobody wanted to talk to me? Whew. That's also true. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for, you know, making my life easy. Um, all right, Burkina Faso, maybe not even a place people could find on a map if they were forced to. So talk with us about what is happening there. Uh, well, let's start with where Burkina Faso is. It's in West Africa. It is a landlocked country. Um, so it's surrounded by, say, Togo and Ghana uh, to the south. Um, Mali's to the northwest and Niger is to the northeast. You can just kind of get a picture of where that is in in uh, the shape of Africa and where it might be in the, the bulb part of Africa. Um, this is a country that's been fairly unstable for the last uh, couple years. Uh, we've seen um, a coup in the last nine months, and now we've seen a second coup. So it's two in, in nine months, basically. And neither one of the leaders that have been ousted have been able to address some of the key issues uh, that have caused the unrest. Um, and that is that uh, the extremism that is taking place in the country uh, was supposed to be brought to heel, and it actually hasn't been brought to heel. In fact, it's gotten significantly worse uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, just because I think of its proximity to Niger and Mali, um, the extremists are going over the border, and you're seeing a lot of uh, impact from that kind of violence. Um, Two million people have been forced to flee their homes, so the violence has continued unabated. Uh, the coup that took place on Friday was by another military leader who was deposing the sitting military leader. Um, both of them, both of them, are promising an election by July of 2024. Um, naturally, because it's a coup, you've got international condemnation, so there's pressure coming in from the global community to get your house in order, uh, return the uh, the seat of power to the democratically elected leader. Um, it's just been kind of a, a very complex situation. The ousted leader fled the country and he's he's gone into Togo. Um, so there's really no word yet on whether or not they're going to try to renegotiate or if they're going to relinquish power because basically the new uh, military leader says that conditions have not improved over the last nine months. In fact, they've gotten worse, not only in the extremist issues, but also in the economic issues. Um, Political chaos has now erupted into unrest. Uh, protesters have attacked the French embassy because a junta representative said uh, that the ousted leader had sought refuge at a French military base in Burkina Faso before he fled to Togo. So that's just kind of giving you an idea of how angry people are about what hasn't been addressed 
well in the country. Um, we do have partners in the in the country, which is why we were able to get some of this information. Uh, it's Christian World Outreach, and they are in several areas in Burkina Faso. They have a mobile medical clinic, and they also have what's called a village of opportunity. It's uh, and a village of opportunity is for women who are trying to learn vocational skills. So it's kind of a boarding school, um, and they learn things like uh, uh, mastery chef uh, uh, skills, culinary skills. Uh, they learn how to sew. They learn uh, small engines type of things. And um, it allows them to be able to support their families. Uh, since so many of the er, you know, the, the wage-earning males uh, are, are being conscripted into uh, the military, it's a situation that has been fairly difficult. With the coup, uh, there was a curfew that was uh, put into place. I think that's since been lifted, but uh, it was close enough to the center of their operations where they could hear the shooting in the streets. So it was uh, kind of an unsettled situation with people who are trying to hunker down. It's going to uh, delay some of the returns of the pupils back to the village of opportunity and the mobile clinic has a uh, tough time getting around when the roads are blocked and closed because of the mm -hmm. uh, the curfews so it's just a, a long-reaching impact you know again at the at the the base level the vulnerable the uh, poorest of the poor are the ones who are going to feel the impact of these kinds of things most severely because they're the ones where the help uh, will actually stop um, mm -hmm. So be praying for the situation there. Be praying for uh, the the country. Be praying for the leaders, that they would have wisdom and how to deal with this kind of a situation. Pray for the safety of the staff at Christian World Outreach. There are other ministries there, but again, we spoke with our partners uh, with the CWO, and they're just saying, please pray for the safety of our staff. Pray that God would bring calm back to the country. It's been peaceful up until the last couple of years, so they're they're asking God to uh, restore that calm. Pray that that He'll intervene and bring in good leadership. Uh, it's just been you know a, a really tough slog for them over the last few years. Mm. So we have all kinds of headlines, um, Ruth, coming out of Iran. Obviously, we're all paying attention to. Um, the nationwide protests there and the now more than 100 civilians who have died as uh, the Iranian government responds to those uh, to response to those protests. Um, you've got a couple of stories posted just today about Iran at Mission News. One of them is a really good news story about a ministry plan to send a million Bibles to Iran. And then there is another story about the Revolutionary Guard blocking access to Heart for Iran's call center. Can you can you brief us in on each of those stories? Well, as you've seen, the uh, uprisings continue to sweep through Iran. The government is really concerned that the instability will take apart the government, that the country will uh, further fall into chaos, that they'll lose their their influence, that they'll lose their uh, their control. So they've responded. Uh, with harsher and harsher measures as the chaos continues, basically. Um, they have taken to a much stronger response, military response, to try to quell the unrest in the streets. And then they're cutting down uh, the communications because too much of this is getting out to the outside world. Uh, and what we're seeing is that they're cracking down pretty much on anybody and any, anything where you might have the possibility of uh, uh, influencing people about what is happening. Uh, men, media ministries are, are especially being targeted. So Mohabat TV, 
being one of the ministries of Heart for Iran, has also been targeted. Um, aside from the ministry aspect of what they're airing, they have a call center. Uh, it's a call center for prayer. People call in and and request, uh, you know, biblical counsel, guidance. Uh, they they ask people to be praying, especially when things are unsettled like this. Uh, and all of a sudden, the calls from Iran dropped off dramatically because they found out uh, that uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard was controlling and limiting the communications that were blocking certain things, and they were uh, uh, able to, I, I would say, breach some of the safety of what was going on with the communications and WhatsApp. So now the ministry is having to really be careful about how they're doing what they do um, and still be injecting the hope of Christ into this whole conversation um, because that's not going to change. People are still going to be searching desperately for hope because they really do feel that their future is gone. The young people especially are feeling the despair at a level that is unprecedented. I know you hear that word a lot, but when you're seeing a suicide rate of 15 people a day in Iran, that speaks to the mm. type of despair that is sweeping through the country. So you're you're seeing people that are desperately searching for hope. They're reaching out to the Christians because the Christians have hope. They they behave differently. They speak differently. They carry themselves differently, and they want and people want to know what's going on here. And that's why you're also hearing um, that with within the size of its country, Iran has the fastest growing church in the world. Um, and because people are are searching for that, they're they're getting the information. They're responding to Christ as they hear what is going on, as they see in practicality what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, even though the government is trying to eradicate the church, it's not stopping people from responding to the gospel. And so, you know, that that's how this ties into the other story, which is that uh, it's obvious, it's really obvious that uh, they're going to need more Bibles because, you know, you need to disciple these new believers in the Word of God to anchor them into the truth so they recognize their shepherd's voice. Um, but there aren't enough Bibles because the church is outpacing the availability of the Bibles. So the Iranian Bible Society and in the, in the, in the diaspora is uh, uh, embarking on this campaign to try to provide one million Bibles in Farsi to Iran's Christians. Um, now, that is in the diaspora as well, so it's in the surrounding countries where you have Farsi speakers, um, but it is a massive campaign that they've tried to launch, and they were hoping to see it completed by 2026. Uh, they have a good start. They've already printed 300,000 Bibles, and they're getting them out there. Um, but also, you know, you have to realize that uh, the Bibles are kind of considered a type of contraband. Um, so getting them in and getting them distributed is also a challenge. Um, and when people say, well, what can we do? Well, you can you can give that you can support this 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 uh, campaign to help provide a million Bibles to Iran's believers. Um, you can also be praying because this is like the, the good old fashioned brother Andrew type of prayer where you're praying uh, you're asking God to shut the eyes of the people on the border. You're asking that they don't see what's right in front of them. You're asking them to, you're asking them to uh, to be be sleeping past their alarms so that they're not there when they're supposed to be there, um, mm -hmm. or that you know they just miss what is entirely in front of them, or that they they. Um, we'll just pass it through because God has spoken to them. Um, these are the kinds of prayers that are kind of wild and radical that uh, the Iranian Bible Society is asking us to pray, uh, even as people are saying, please tell our story. 
let the world know what is happening in this country and ask them to join us, to join our, their voices with us, um, not only to call for change, but also for believers to be praying into the situation and walking alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ there. Amen. Amen. All right. So those two really important stories at, um, at missionnews.org today about Iran. We're going to ask Ruth to help us um, see into what is happening in terms of the Christian response in Cuba following Hurricane Ian. And then I'm going to have her tell us about um, a story out of Turkey where um, former extreme, a former extremist has revealed a plot to kill pastors. Yep, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I know we've all been focused on the aftermath of Hurricane Ian in southwest Florida, and we certainly will continue to lift up stories from there and the um, the response of Christians to what is happening. We want to turn our attention to um, uh, Cuba, where Ian first passed over land um, and left tremendous devastation. So Ruth Kramer is here. You can find the article that we're discussing at missionnews.org. Talk with us about what um, ministries on the ground are hearing from pastors in terms of the wake of uh, Hurricane Ian. Well, I mean, the good news is Cuba has restored power to most of Havana, um, but a lot of the country remains in the dark. Um, People are very upset about the pace of the government's response to uh, the hurricane uh, damage. And because things were kind of slow in in coming back, um, it actually prompted a bunch of protests last week. Anger is still simmering on the streets. Residents are trying to replace lost supplies because of the the blackouts. Um, But generally, the protests that are in the streets are the most widespread in terms of anti-government rallies since last summer. Um, so the government feels like it's it's being a little bit threatened there. People are pretty upset about that. Um, that's sort of just the backdrop against which uh, we have different things that from the body of Christ, different reports coming in about how it's affected them. Um, we spoke with Farms International, who got in touch with some of the pastors that were in their network in Cuba just to find out what's been going on. Uh, when you, you hear that they lost all of their uh, food, a month's supply of food because of the loss of refrigeration. You know, all of us feel that and we think, okay, yeah, that's what would happen if you had a blackout. But we can replace that food. And in Cuba, that's that's a much 
tougher situation because the economic situation is so much more difficult. Uh, so it's just, you know, one more challenge on top of everything else. Uh, one of the partners had told us that um, basically the western area of the country is destroyed. The economic, uh, the electrical system has completely collapsed, the, resulting in a food crisis, as we were talking about. Um, three of the churches that are connected to this partnering network are gone. They were destroyed by the hurricane. Three parsonages also. So that means that you have three pastors who are completely homeless now. Um, and, you know, the, the those things have to be replaced. So now you have a church leader who... Uh, needs to be helping his congregation who also has to be figuring out his own situation with food and shelter and making sure his family is is safe and uh and able to survive the next few days this is like your your first wave of of emergency here um this is a situation where the the church typically bands together um to help each other out if they can uh for people who are already poor they give generously. This is something that's kind of an interesting phenomenon. It's amazing to watch in action when you see the body of Christ who are giving generously from their poverty. Um, and it's a, it's a huge testimony to those around them, especially when people already know that Farms is an organization that comes alongside uh, to not only support the local churches, but also to support people to help themselves work themselves out of poverty. So they're seen as usually a good uh, influence in the communities. And as people see how they respond to this emergency, there are going to be a lot more questions and people who are going to have um, uh, gospel opportunities in here because of, of the testimony of the body of Christ in Cuba. So just continue to pray, obviously. Um, we can be praying uh, not only for the situation, uh, but also that God uh, resources, provides for uh, the believers there, so they can give generously to their communities. Um, pray that they would be bold in sharing the hope of Christ uh, as you're trying to deal with, you know, how, how do you replace everything, you know, the, the enormity of what they've lost, and then just trying to get back to a new normal. Um, this is this is just a huge challenge right now. And ministry happens, but also the ministry that was gets sidetracked a little bit. So just be praying that they have. Um, a continued laser focus on their ministry, leadership training, development, uh, entrepreneurship, and and the other things that come alongside uh, planting new churches. Yeah, I just um, my heart goes out to you know to people who've like they just lost everything. And when you think about your church has lost everything, your school has lost everything, your local hospital is is gone. I mean, on and on and on the. The rebuilding that is going to be necessary uh, in Cuba, um, you know, here in the United States of America, we may feel like we've got the resources to be, to bring to bear on the situation in South in uh, in Southwest Florida, um, but the people of Cuba, you know, the the access to resources is just you know obviously very very different. So thank you so much for bringing us this story. Can you brief us in on this um, news out of Turkey? These plots to um, uh, kill pastors. Yeah, I'm, this is this is kind of an interesting thing. This plot uh, recently came to light within the last couple of weeks, um, but it's a plot that actually extends back to 2015 and 2016. Extremists in Turkey had planned attacks against three specific Christian leaders because of their activity, because they were so um, successful in in sharing the gospel, uh, and people were responding. Their their ministries were vibrant, um, and this is a situation where. 
um, the plot came to light because the hitman that was hired to take out these three leaders uh, had a change of heart. Uh, his name was Tolgahan, and he was actually approached by Turkey's military and intelligence agents to um, target these Christian leaders and, and kill them. Uh, at the time, Tolgahan was the leader of the Grey Wolves, which is an ultra-nationalist youth organization. And, um, and that is that has a direct connection to Turkey's president. So there was a lot of the, the inner workings of the politics involved here. And uh, the, uh, the hitman, Tolgahan, had actually cited his first target and went to kill him. And when he entered the church to do that, he, he, he was, I guess, stopped because the, uh, the pastor's son was actually in the church playing the piano. And Tolgahan didn't want to kill the father in front of his son. Mm. Something in that situation changed his heart. And eventually he came forward uh, and confessed his involvement with the would-be um, plan. So we're praising God that he intervened and, and healed Tolgahan uh, from the, the sin in his life. But we're also unsettled to learn that the government was so deeply involved with the situation. This really harkens back to the killing of the bookstore owners in Malatya. Um, mm -hmm. And and just you re you begin to realize how uh, how much pressure faces believers in Turkey when you you see that connection uh, government action that is aimed at Christians and you're hearing these things about how Turkey is um, denying visas of returning missionaries or people that are trying to come back to continue their ministries. You remember the story of Pastor Andrew Brunson, the American pastor who was the political pawn between Turkey and the U.S. for so many uh, for so many months and, and just realizing that the pressure is increasing because Turkey doesn't want Christians in its country. I mean, they're, they're mm -hmm. saying is to be Turkish is to be Muslim and to be Muslim is to be Turkish. So there's no room for Christians in there, according to the government. And it's it's going to be a really hard pushback. Um, in this situation, we're thanking the Lord that uh, that these pastors were spared in this situation, but it also means they're on a hit list. Uh, so we can continue to pray in these situations. We can continue to pray for the uh, FMI uh, Church Network, which is a, a fairly new ministry area for the ministry of FMI. Um, and they're, they're just trying to make sure that... Uh, they are equipping the church well in light of what's coming. Mm -hmm. Ruth, um, so much good, uh, so many good articles, such a wide range um, that you're reporting on at Mission News. want to be sure that folks um, read a couple of articles there uh, related to China and one about the death of Brother Andrew. Um, you guys will remember him as God's smuggler. He is the founder of Open Doors, and, uh, and he died last week at the age of 94. Thank you, as always, Ruth, um, for bringing us all of this news and information. That's Ruth Kramer. You can find everything we talked about today and so much more at missionnews.org. All right, friends, um, as we bring this first hour of Mornings with Carmen to a close, let me encourage you to show some, appreci show some appreciation for your pastor during this Pastor Appreciation Month. If you visit us at MyFaithRadio.com, there's a place for you to share information about your pastor and, um, you know, something that you appreciate uh, about their walking with you in your journey of discipleship, the way that they encourage you with the Word of God. We want to be of encouragement to pastors during this month. So um, if you give us a shout out to your pastor at MyFaithRadio.com, we are going to, in turn, bless them personally. 
And so uh, help us do that at MyFaithRadio.com. we got another hour. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.